0: A lot of conflict resolution for me is upfront recognizing that you have to be ready for it and expect it. There is no conflict free situation. We may have a situation where people work very well together, but at some point, conflict is going to come up.
1: This is not your average business podcast, because here we are going to discuss how you hit your goals without losing yourself, your values, or your relationships along the way. We believe in the whole person versus the long-term hustle approach and demonstrating to our children what living a life full of purpose is truly about. We're here for the woman who is an aspiring entrepreneur, developing her personal brand, and staying open to the opportunities that come before her.
2: We're here for the woman yearning to find businesses that align with her, her core being so she can feel in alignment with her life. Come on this journey with us as we navigate this very full season and pursue a life we love. Are you feeling stuck? Are you searching for a greater purpose?
1: Are you craving connection? Perfect. You are in the right place and we're excited to get you one step further than you are today.
2: Today, we are speaking with Lynn Hurdle price who I worked with for three or four years. She supported me in my communication, having difficult conversations, and unpacking my internalized biases. So I first met Lynn when I reached out to her about four years ago to support in growing my knowledge on social justice, and Lynn helped me understand that before I come to the plate to have... Those conversations that are deep, heated, and on a loaded topic, I needed to first understand how to effectively handle conflict, and that is where our work began together. So Lynn is an executive coach, communication expert, Conflict resolution strategist. She's a facilitator, speaker, and author, and she has decades of experience blending conversations of conflict and culture with leaders. Lynn is the author of the best selling book, Closing Conflict for Leaders, and she teaches leaders the skills to engage confidently, skillfully, and powerfully in everything from daily conversations to the most difficult conversations out there. So today's episode is for you if you want to commit to having hard conversations and sometimes uncomfortable conversations to really deepen connection, trust, creativity, and problem solving within your work environment. And I'll say that so many of these skills that Lynn has taught me have really translated into my home life too. So Lynn, without further ado, thank you so much for being here. Can you go ahead and just introduce yourself um, to our audience and share how you got into this really unique field? Hi,
0: everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Lynn Hurdle-Price. You also see me out there as Lynn Maureen Hurdle. You also see me out there as the conflict closer. And I'm a Bronx girl for a very long time, born and raised. And it's really my history in the Bronx that got me into this work. It's so funny. I was just thinking today that it's rare that I take the traditional route to anything in my life. And it's the same around conflict resolution. I was going to be a star, (laughs) performer, entertainer, and that I knew from the time I was three years old. So by the time I was 17, I had set myself up to be a theater major in college. I was living in the Bronx at the time, but When I was seven years old, my parents moved myself and my sister from an African-American neighborhood to an all-white neighborhood. So by the time I was 17, I had 10 years in this neighborhood, seen a lot of stuff, but I'm on a bus and I look and see, we've stopped about a mile from my house and there is a mob of young white males with red bandanas around their head and baseball bats surrounding the bus. And fortunately, the bus driver would not open the door. And then they tried to, when they wouldn't let the three Black people who were on the bus out, when the bus driver was one of us, they started to try to turn over the bus. And when that didn't happen right away they saw across the street there was a bus filled with african american young people and they ran over there and i was able to get off the bus with uh, another teenager who happened to go to my high school we didn't know each other he was just a week in the neighborhood and had no idea how to get home so i took him home and on my walk home from his house i heard the voice say i think I'm supposed to do something about this problem. I think I'm supposed to bring people together on this. I don't know how, but I really do think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I didn't want to do that because I wanted to be a star. But as it was, when I got to Syracuse University, which is where I was going, I was a theater major for one year, and then they had a new major called Nonviolent Conflict and Change, and <laughs> I changed into that major, and I have been doing the work of conflict resolution ever since in all kinds of different ways, uh, including I spent time being a mediator and an arbitrator, and then I do workshops and coaching and, you know, the rest. So <laughs> that's that's how I got in it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lynn, you do such important work, and if 2020 taught us anything, these problems are not behind us. No. So no. Your, and your story, too, brings to light that it really wasn't that long ago, you know, where these major things have been happening. I like the title, Conflict Closer. <laughs> so let's start with the basics here, because I know that so many people out there, and I think I can say especially women, like to avoid conflict at all costs. <laughs> So we're going to start with you defining for us what is conflict and why do people have such a hard time with it?
0: Yeah, you know, I think people have such a hard time with it because we make it bigger than what it essentially is in terms of even the definition, right? When conflict happens, we tend to escalate it. But just even in in terms of defining it, because it's really two or more opposing points of view that keep us from moving forward on a point or an action, right? That's really all it is. We can have two or more opposing points of view and we figure out a way to get past it. So it, it may be a conflict, a temporary conflict. In the moment, or it may not even really be a conflict. Oh, we don't agree. Okay, so then how do we still move forward? But usually it's when it stops things, right? We don't see it the same way. We can't move forward because we refuse to move forward in it. Therefore, we have a conflict, and conflicts range from small to large, right? We see that in the world we have global conflicts. Those are big ones, but we might have an everyday conflict with our neighbor. Maybe they just make too much noise or maybe they just aren't friendly and that's a conflict for us because we are now seeing each other and making each other's day miserable by looking at each other wrong or talking to each other and not being in cooperation with each other. We have conflicts with our siblings. We have conflicts with our significant others, but it really is just that we're seeing it differently. And then we progress from there. We
2: act in ways that escalate the conflict rather than de-escalate it. And why do you think, so if it's just two opposing views, why is it that people just have a hard time even initiating that hard conversation or what are ways that you can initiate a hard conversation?
0: Yeah. So I think we, we love our points of view. So (laughs) (laughs) we don't Want to be wrong? (laughs) (laughs) We want not only don't we want to be wrong. We want everybody else to come to our point, right? You got to see it our way. So that's the one thing we get entrenched in in the love of our points of view. But in terms of uh, having the hard conversations, first of all, I think it's important that we know that we have to have them. People come to me all the time, and they've gone all around the bend and and made sure that they made up all these stories in their head about why the person is doing this and why they won't respond if I do say something and on and on and on. And we, by the time they finished coming around the bend for the ninth time, they finally run out of air. And I'd say, you still got to have the conversation. There's no way around this without the conversation. And people don't like to feel bad. They don't want people to think that they are wrong. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't want to move off. A point, it's hard, our feelings get in the way, and a lot of us really don't learn the tools to manage our feelings. And we just don't like feeling badly. And that's what happens in conflict a lot of times for folks until you have the conversation and you really stick in there and you push through to the other side because the other side is always, it's just marvelous to get to the other side. It feels very different, even though we've experienced some tough feelings along the way. It feels like we've come to a a newer understanding. We feel relieved We were able to get through this and get through this, hopefully, in ways that still keep the relationship intact and even strengthen it.
2: Yeah. And so, let's say I'm holding on to that hard conversation. I'm holding on to me wanting to be right, but I know that my relationship can't move forward. Let's say it's a work relationship. Is there a good prompt that I could use to just initiate? Like, I can tell that there's some unrest here. And I want to have this conversation with this person. Is there like a quick prompt that you use? A quick prompt to myself or a quick prompt to quick start prompt the to, conversation? Yeah, to start the conversation. I feel like even just opening it up can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People, all of us are not listened to enough. And one thing that we love, love, love
0: is to be listened to. Why not? Right? It, it means somebody's really is showing some interest and care and concern in your point of view. So I always open up with, I really want to have a conversation and I really want to hear your point of view. I think that people respond to that. That you want to actually listen to me. When you say you want to have a conversation, what they immediately think is you're just going to talk at them and you want to just drill down on your point and they're not going to be listened to because that's pretty much what happens. But if you can let them know that you really want to hear them, you want to listen to them, even if you've heard it before. Get in there and get a fresh perspective on it. I'm coming in to listen. Of course, I'm coming in to respond. But my first point of order is to hear you.
1: Yeah, I like what Kat said in the beginning of this conversation about how the things that we're learning from you today can really also trickle into our lives at home. Mm -hmm. I know something that my husband and I have really worked on is earlier in our relationship when we were having conflict, we really both talked to talk and we could not wait to get our next (laughs) point in. (laughs) And the growth has really been to listen and not just be waiting to make your next point, but to truly hear what is on their side of the street. So I have talked pretty openly on my Instagram account about our communication and the journey that that has been. Recently, I brought up a conversation that I had with my friends decoding couples, and they are couples therapists. Mm. I was Telling them about this conflict that Drew and I had because to be honest, Lynn, I thought they were gonna take my side. <laughs> I thought that they were gonna have my back, but I I really felt like my husband was over asking or asking too much of me. And mm-hmm. they reminded me that Drew has every right to communicate his needs clearly, and I have every right to say no to his needs. Yes. So this is an example where I'm sure this also happens to you, where people seek you out because they think that you're going to come alongside and kind of be on their side because we're always feeling like the other person is a little bit more to blame so how do you approach this when someone brings you on <laughs> and they're thinking they've got a teammate, but you're helping them essentially to put up a mirror and see you know, what part of the conflict they are?
0: Oh, I, I'm straight up with people when they come to me because I'm going to say 99.9% of the people who come to me come to me because they think I'm going to tell the other person they're wrong <laughs> or I'm going to fix the other person. And I'm straight up, yep, we're going to deal with conflict, and the first place we start is with you. That's always my opening, (laughs) and it's always like, what? (laughs) But that's because you are the only person that you really can control in conflict, and there's a lot there that you can do with yourself if you allow yourself to learn skills, use them, learn strategies, techniques, and conflict resolution, and use them. So we start with you because you have the most power over you. And if you are able to be successful in using the skills, then oftentimes you can really get through some difficult conversations with others. And, hey, there's no guarantee that someone else is going to change or do things differently. But I learned a long time ago for myself, I have to like the way I handle conflict more than Mm. anything else, more than in quotes, winning, more than being right, more than getting my way. I have to like the way I handled it. I don't like coming back from a conflict and feeling badly about my behavior. (laughs) That doesn't feel good to me. And plus, I just feel like I can do that. I can handle myself in a conflict in a way that even if I didn't get what I want, I can say, but I really like the way you handled that, Lynn. And when I don't handle it well, because I am human like everyone else and there are many times when I don't, uh, especially according to my sons. But <laughs> but uh, but when I don't, I'm very very easy to apologize. I've learned that as a skill. I've learned the power of a sincere apology. Like, yo, know, I really I messed up here, and I'm just wondering if we can rewind the tape or we can do this again. I've done that. <laughs> so many times and people have responded well, because we don't do well as a society around oncologies. And so when they hear one and they know that it's genuine, they respond well.
1: It is really all about growth because A, when I used to argue with my let's just say my partner again, I used to feel like I was a prosecutor. I just (laughs) wanted to make all of my points. And then I realized there is no reward for winning the argument. Mm -hmm. The better place to get is that we both feel well in this relationship and we land somewhere where things are working for both of us. So it's, just this huge growth journey that we all go on. And also to your point, what you said really resonated with me. I can only control myself. And I think that's growth too, because a lot of us, we go through the early part of adulthood thinking that we can control or change other people. And at the end of the day,
0: that just really isn't true. (laughs) It isn't. It isn't. Including, I want to say this for parents, including our children. That whole piece around listening, If we apply that even to our children, we're just in a good place in terms of the kinds of conversations that we are laying the groundwork for. A lot of times, I know for myself, I was really silenced as a child, and it still happens. Mm -hmm. Parents silence their children and don't allow them to really talk about what's going on, and in particular, their feelings. And it's got to get out there. They have to be listened to. And so the same thing with your partner, whoever it is that you might be in conflict with regularly, right? Because when we live together, that's going to happen. Or when we're in relationship together, that's going to happen. They've got to know that if nothing else, you are there to listen. You will listen to them. You won't just argue. You actually will do your best to try to understand what is the point that they're making and why is it so important to them to make this point with me. I mean, there's just so many people that can't do that. So when you can, believe me, people do value that. So I love what you said, Amy. The important thing is that, you know, that this relationship has to be well. And one of the best ways is to be able to have conversations about anything, even when they're tough, even when they hurt feelings, as long as they're honest. And then we work things through and talk things through.
2: Lynn, I feel so lucky that you came into my life four years ago because that really coincided with when I became a mother. Hmm. You've kind of been on that journey with me, supporting me in a professional capacity, but everything has really trickled into the work that I'm able to do at home, too. And I really do appreciate that about the work that you do. And a lot of that piece is this active listening that we're talking about. And I used to and still do sometimes step into a hard conversation waiting for that pause, like Amy said, so that I can prove that I'm right or you <laughs> know, interject my piece. I'm talking to talk. I'm not, you know, or I'm listening to talk and, right. and say my piece. <laughs> right. But How does someone actually practice this? In theory, how do you practice active listening so that you're present and you're supportive and you're able to open up your mind to seeing that other person's point of view? You know, that is the
0: thing about it. You don't get better at active listening unless you practice active listening. And so oftentimes you're practicing right in the heat of things, right in the moment. And you just get better and better at it as you continue to do it. I think one of the biggest things for me is to practice this piece around listening, as you said, that most people only listen long enough to the place at which they wish to interrupt. Right, I'm just waiting to interrupt you. Is really what I'm doing. I'm not really listening. <laughs> it's like, okay, here I go. I'm in here and I'm going to make my points. But if we actually are able to remind ourselves, I'm not going to interrupt. I'm really going to listen all the way through. And then on top of that, I'm going to ask a question that says, I would like you to talk even more before I say anything. I think those yeah. are the two most important points because it's hard to fully understand someone. I mean, you can't understand them if you aren't truly listening. And then it's hard to fully understand them on just kind of one go, right? They'd say something and then- you still need more information most times to really understand what this is about and why for them. So to remind yourself, I'm not going to interrupt. And then when they do finish talking, I'm going to let them know I've heard them and I'm going to ask a question that says, I want to know more.
1: Ooh, I love that. One thing that I have been practicing lately is apologizing. Mm -hmm. And so learning to stop myself When I say I'm saying sorry to my child for raising my voice, I say, Max, I'm so sorry I raised my voice. And then I literally have to bite my lip to say, because you were being crazy or like you were jumping around. So it is really you have to be very intentional in your practice. I know that I used to apologize and then rationalize why I did it. So it's this very active practice of every time stopping stopping short of giving the reason why you did it.
0: Yeah, and I think that if we just remind ourselves that beyond the apology is the explanation as to what you think happened, right? What you just said reminded me of a trip that I took with my son, who was five at the time, my niece who was six and we went to Philly and I'm just not a driver. I'm in New York and Philly's just straight two hours. And I just, (laughs) two hours is probably where I start complaining. And then we were there and we were there the whole day and we stayed longer and it turned into night and I hate driving in the night. And then it started to rain. And that was just the two things that were going to send my nerves over the edge. And so for one minute, they're happily in McDonald's eating. And the next I'm screaming at them, you take too long. You always. And I realized it was fear. I was afraid mm-hmm. of the drive back. So not only did I apologize to them, I told them what was happening for me. Here's why I yelled at you. I was afraid. Right. Because it's raining mm-hmm. and it's dark. and They, with their marvelous little self said, well, we understand that. I've been afraid, you know, and it's like, ah, beautiful. Not only did I say, I'm sorry. I explain what happened for me. And I want to model that for kids so that they can do the same. We're going to lose it at times. But if you can really tune in to what happened for you, why did I just lose it? Then you can also offer that up as an explanation. And often people can understand because they've been in a situation similar.
1: Right. Yeah. That makes total sense so that our kids or whoever else we're interacting with isn't guessing why we just blew up. Yeah, that makes sense. So I know that you've worked a lot with leaders and as business owners ourselves, Kat and I understand that sometimes there's a power dynamic at play. Mm -hmm. So we were wondering, what do you say to someone that wants to have a tough conversation with their boss or someone in power when they don't feel psychologically safe with them? That can be very, very hard.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say that that's a really difficult situation to be in. Power changes things tremendously anyway. But certainly if it's not just that it's your boss, but that you don't feel psychologically safe to do so, then you're going to really have the kind of conflict that may not be able to be resolved in the way that you would like. So I would say if you don't feel psychologically safe with them, but you really feel like I really want to at least try, then you really want to enter in to just saying, I'd love to just talk about and have it be something specific because the more general you are, the more threatened they become, right? So I want to talk about some things that are going on that I'm unhappy with. Sounds much more threatening than I'd really like to share with you. What happened for me in this last conversation that we had? Would you be willing to have that conversation with me? If they're not willing then you're going to have to make some decisions. Is there another way in? Is there someone else that who has their ear that might be able to champion your cause or help the conversation? Is there something in the company that allows you to have a mediated conversation with them and you feel safe? But psychological safety is no joke. If people are not feeling safe enough to share because they feel like there's going to be some t- type of retaliation, then you may be in the type of situation where you're either going to decide this isn't going to be something that I can ever do here or I'm not sure that this is the place that's going to be right for me to be if I'm never going to feel safe enough just to have a conversation about the normal day-to-day conflicts that are happening on the job.
2: Yes. Psychological safety is so important in a workplace. And I loved what you said there too, that there's nothing more threatening than that general statement. And even just, I still get shivers when I think about someone being like, hey, can you come to my office later? And you're like, why? (laughs) Or can you meet, you know, that's so general. It just gives me the shivers just even thinking about that. And so now that I've been in a position of quote unquote power and have, you know, whatever, been a supervisor, had people who work below me, I have been in that role now, and so I always want to make sure that I'm very clear with my communication, but I'm still human. There's been times when I've been frustrated mm-hmm. in the workplace where I haven't communicated properly, and I loved what you shared about that story with your son when you were driving and how you repaired that. But how do you go about repairing something if you were in a position of power? Let's say you blew up at one of your employees or someone that is underneath you. How do you go about repairing that to create psychological safety? Huh.
0: Yeah, so I think that I'm always seeing the model of you owning it is important. So if you you messed up in this situation, then to go back not only again to apologize and to say where that came from for you, but also to recognize that may have threatened how you feel in terms of being safe enough to have future conversations. And I want you to know that I'm committed to creating that safety or recreating it, getting it back. And I hope that you will trust that we'll do that, that I will do that. I think you just have to be able to anticipate what's in their head. Wow, I'm really not feeling safe after that. So for you to put that on the table, it gives them permission to say, yeah, I don't feel safe now. Or, hey, I understand we all blow up. I still feel safe talking with you.
1: Yeah. Bringing the humanity back into leadership, I think is really important. We're bringing it back into motherhood. You know, we Mm -hmm. realize as parents, we can be wrong. Well, guess what? As leaders, (laughs) we can be wrong too. And our employees are going to respect us more if we're willing to say, Hey, I screwed up Mm
2: -hmm. during that
1: conversation. I'm sorry. I brought a negative lens to it. I just had to do that with one of my employees really recently. So Mm -hmm right there with you guys if you are there. Lynn, what we know right now is that a lot of teams and people are still working remotely and that can make communication even more tricky than it already was. So we're wondering, how can we create the best environment for conflict resolution for teams that are working remotely? Is it still that you would ask someone to meet with you over video? Would that still mm-hmm. be best? Just give us examples.
0: Yeah, I think uh, face-to-face is always good. So while we're not in the same space, video for me is important. I I know sometimes people like to do the phone. Conflict involves... All of us, you know, our bodies communicate things. In fact, nonverbal communication is often much stronger <laughs> than verbal. And so if you can't see the person, then it makes it much more difficult to have the conversation, particularly when we're talking about conflict. If I say something and I'm unable to catch your reaction in your face, then I don't know. That you've had this reaction, right? I don't, so therefore I can't speak to it or ask about it. So yes, it's important remotely to be able to have that one on one to talk to people. I say that a lot of conflict resolution for me is upfront recognizing that you have to be ready for it and expect it. There is no conflict-free situation. We may have a situation where people work very well together, but at some point, conflict is going to come up. So right up front, I always encourage leaders to have some guidelines or procedures, a process around conflict. And when you're bringing people on board, you talk about it. So we have conflict here. Here's how we do conflict here. If you need to put it in writing, if you need to just make sure you've had the conversation with everyone, that's really important. So when conflict happens, they already know, okay, this is how we do conflict. So we're going to do a one-on-one conversation if we feel like We've gotten to that place where when the conflict is really affecting us, we're not talking about it, we're not able to let it go, or we just really want to make sure it doesn't escalate. People already know coming in, right? This is how we do conflict. And if you haven't done that up front yet, it's not too late to go back and say, hey, one of the things I realized is we really don't have a process or a way for us to make sure that we're resolving conflicts regularly. So I want to put that in place. Here's what it is. Let's have a conversation about it. And then let's make sure that we're using this process. And then we evaluate how that's working as well.
1: Uh, Lynn, I loved that answer because I think that's a step that a lot of people skip. You know, you don't really think about the upcoming conflict, but every business and every team is going to experience some. I also noticed in that answer, you didn't say to send off a text or an email when you're (laughs) hot, because I feel like some of the worst communication happens in those text messages or in those emails Mm -hmm. where you can't hear their voice. And then I find, I found this before myself and my team, they'll put their own tone to the email. And it's like, wait, 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 I wasn't trying to be, I was simply saying it. I wasn't saying it in the voice that Mm -hmm. you're giving it. So I think a lot of times we can get lost in translation if we rely too heavily on our text messages or our slacks or our emails.
0: Absolutely. And I took a workshop many, many years ago, I think really starting really when the email was getting big, because I don't remember him talking about texting. But one of the things he said that in writing, it's dangerous because what they found is that when you put something in writing that is around, you know, conflict, the people view it as negative. That's just the view they go with. Mm. And that's the tone that they apply to it that this is negative when it could be really neutral. But in writing, because we don't have anything else to go on, we go to our own head, our own thought. And that space is that what they mean by that really, it sounds bad or it's bad. And they didn't really mean anything by it. <laughs> but in writing, you can't tell. So some people say, write the email, but don't send it. No, because you might push then. <laughs> you just hide it at the end. I say, write it out. On piece of paper, because then you can decide if, first of all, if you want to take now that extra step to then type it in, or whether you want to just ball it up and throw it away and, and really make sure you're in a place to make that right decision if email or text is your only option.
2: Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that was one of my dad's first advice when I started in the working world. He said, Kat, you can never tell the tone in someone's email. And Mm -hmm. I would always repeat that to myself. You know, if I was, is this passive aggressive? And it was like, no, this person's just stating what they want. (laughs) Or sometimes it might be passive aggressive, but you don't know. So that is worth the conversation and the follow-up. And so one of the most common questions that we've received from our community that I'm just dying to ask you about to find out your best tips and tricks on are how do you give and accept feedback without taking it personally?
0: So let's start start with, how do you accept feedback without taking it personally? I'm going to say that it is really difficult, I think, for people to give the kind of feedback that doesn't become personal. So that's really the first thing is we need to learn how to give feedback. Feedback is for growth. It isn't to tear people down. And so you really want to make sure that you're identifying areas of growth along with areas where people have grown, right? And I don't necessarily believe you have to put the good before the challenges. You can do both and you can make sure you, that you include both. But I do believe that there's a way to present the challenges that doesn't. Become personal. So, what is it that you want them to improve on? Right? That's important. Be able to say what it is and to give some steps and not to name a call. So, if something is given, then deadlines need to be met. I can deal with that. I can't deal with you're not doing the job well, right? Well, How am I not doing the job well? Really give me the explanation. I'm going to say that people are going to take things personally because that's what we do. Feedback's hard to hear even when it's done well. Our feelings challenge us. We don't want to feel like there is something wrong with us. We are conditioned that way to feel that if we have made a mistake, we have failed. And that's a condition of this culture. It, it, It truly is not anything that is real, in my opinion. I think it's just conditioned in us. Mistakes are what we're here to make because that's how we grow and learn. But the way that we treat people when they make mistakes makes people feel like they're a bad person because they've done something wrong or there's an area for them to grow in. And in fact, that's not. So if we're giving feedback, I want us to think about we are providing this so that the person can hear the areas where we need them to grow and not the areas where they're bad. And even though we might hear that when we're listening to feedback, it's important for us to be able to then manage our emotions when we're hearing it and after we've heard it, to really be able to then look at what are the steps that I can take to grow in this area and know that everybody needs to grow. Those are hard lessons for people, I have to tell you. It's a very difficult thing, but it is important if we are able to even talk about that. So when you talk with the folks who work for you, talk about feedback. What's so difficult about it? And how would you like to hear feedback? You might not always give it in that way, but it's interesting to hear what people say. Some people have heard people say, I don't want you to tell me anything that I've done wrong. (laughs) And it's like, well, we've got to get to that place. So since we got to get to that place, I want you to think about What's the best way for you to receive it? How could you hear it in a way that shows that you understand that the feedback is really for your growth, not to make you feel like you are a bad person or a bad employee? And now I was going to say that I think you have to empower people to take responsibility for the way that they hear things as well. So for me to say, what's the way that you can hear it, puts it on you to really think about that. And to think about what stops you from hearing it in a way where it is grow.
1: Yeah, I loved something you said in that reply when you were talking about acknowledge places where they have grown. I agree with you. I don't think we always need that feedback sandwich that we were taught like positive, <laughs> right. negative, positive. My husband went to a conference where someone like you was teaching and they said that actually humans really grasp onto the positive thing. So they might miss the Mm -hmm. other feedback. But for myself as a leader, I had to really also grow in learning that, you know what, I wasn't giving enough positive feedback. Mm
0: -hmm. So then
1: when I was always going with negative, that's really hard for an employee. I think in relationships where we have long-term employees, long-term partners, we forget to acknowledge all the good things they do, all the helpful things they do, the areas they've grown in. And we can get really focused on the areas where they're falling short, but that doesn't feel good for anyone. So I would add, you know, make sure that you're adding the positive feedback in.
0: Yeah. I would say that it shouldn't be just at the time when we're doing evaluations, right? That we are actually giving feedback, both positive and growth feedback along the way. So it doesn't become this thing that we stored up for your six months, right? for evaluation time. It doesn't become that piece, which it has become in a lot of companies. And I know that time is a factor, but still the time to take to say, hey, you know, just really appreciate you. Appreciate where you handled that. Appreciate that I can come to you with this. Appreciate that you do above and beyond. Or let's get in front of this right now, right? So that it, it doesn't become more challenging for you. If you're doing that on a regular basis, I think it's much easier for people to hear the feedback where they need to grow.
2: So true. One of my love languages is words of affirmation. So it's like I soak up feedback in both ways. I want to hear the positive too. And then I also know want to know when I'm doing something that I can tweak so then it can become a positive. So that's really speaks to me there too. And I just want to shift gears a little bit, but you've been so helpful for me in understanding more about cancel culture, which when you think of it, is really an easy way to avoid <laughs> conflict is just by canceling someone. And to share a little bit more about this situation. About a year ago, I found out that someone who I admire really greatly had very different political views than me, and it was really hard for me to Mm -hmm. swallow at the time. And in fact, I honestly debated canceling my relationship with this person because of it. And Lynn, you really helped me through that situation in a productive way. So can you share more about cancel culture and if and when it's ever appropriate to cancel someone? (laughs)
0: Oh, gosh, cancel culture, the new phenomenon. (laughs) So for me, I think that that's just a quick button for a lot of people. That is to say, okay, well, no, I'm not going to put up with this in terms of you and your point of view, or I too, I think that's probably what helped you is that I had that situation with someone who I really love, admire and respected and found out that we had very different political views. And it was very difficult for me to not cancel, but I just, didn't think that the relationship was not worthy. And so I decided that I would keep it. But I do think that we go into cancel culture when we feel like we're not talking and we're not. What we're doing is talking at each other and we're insisting that we're going to dig in our heels and not hear each other, understand each other, and respect that we come at this differently. I know that it gets intense for people when we start talking about people who are supporting people that we we view as racist or sexist or you know harm doing harm in the world. And it's difficult to keep that person in your world, but there's opportunity for relationships to shift without ending them. I think that Cancel culture is just a quick fix for people when they literally have uh, pushed you to the point where you don't want to talk to them anymore about this particular subject. And so therefore you issue that ultimatum or you just cut them out. I think that, first of all, there are people that are smart enough to figure out (laughs) that you can not cancel everybody uh, and people will wait you out and just come back even stronger in your life or in other people's lives. And so you haven't really canceled them. You've just threatened them. But the other thing I think is important about cancel culture is that it just doesn't allow us to be in conversation with each other and to hold the space for people to grow and change. And that is what I have seen with people who have not Push the cancel culture button, that they've actually held the space for someone to grow and to change their points of view on things and for themselves to change their point of view. I can appreciate what this particular relationship that I'm talking about still brings into my life, even though it's it's different than it was but it still provides some value. I can appreciate that this person's point of view on that is very difficult for me to handle. But at the same time, I appreciate where they come from on other things. So how do I grow in the space that I can keep them in my life but maybe it's just they're not as close and that's sad but made the decision that i don't want to cancel them i don't want to tell them that they're not a good person and and incapable of growing i do want to say that we have this really strong disagreement and here's where it places me in terms of our relationship but i'm not trying to get rid of you Cancel culture really makes me very sad because as it is, we don't talk enough and now we're just getting rid of people. Now, I want to say this. I understand the cancel culture around people who've done horrendous things, but I'm also going to say that people who do horrendous things also can grow. And so where's the room in that? If we entirely cancel them. And I mean, cancel to the point where even when they may be trying to come back differently, we've decided they should be totally discarded and there is no hope for them. I don't believe there is anybody who's like that, as hard as that is for me to say. I just truly don't believe there's anybody who cannot grow and do better.
1: Oh, that was such a good answer for us to hear. And You know, I never had thought of cancel culture being avoidant of conflict. Mm -hmm. And I was also, when it was all happening, because it got really bad for a while, I was like, but is this moving us forward in a positive direction? And I just couldn't see how that would But yeah, it got really intense there for a minute. Lynn, you have been such a pleasure to talk to. Thank you so much for being here. This has been such a helpful conversation for myself, for Kat. And so I know it will really impact our audience as well. So can you tell our listeners where they could find more of you?
0: Oh, absolutely. You can find more of me at Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, Maureen, M-A-U-R-E-E-N. Hurdle h u r d l e dot com, dot That's my website. Everything that I do is up there. You can order my book there. Amazon has it as well. And so that's where I am. I'm on Twitter. I'm on. Well, I don't really do Twitter much, but I, I'm on Instagram as the uh, Conflict closer. Conflict closer. I'm on Facebook, Lin Hurdle, and I'm on LinkedIn, so Lynn Maureen Hurdle. So, there's all the places you can find.
2: Amazing. Well, thank you, Lynn. Thank you so much for being here. And if you found this episode helpful, it would mean so much to us if you headed over to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review.